Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Ken's 5 podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And today we are joined by a very special guest, a San Antonio sports writing legend, Ken's 5 digital sport writer, David Flores. Happy to have you here, David. Thank you, Thank you Jackson. And Thank you're here Kevin. because we're talking about a very special um, special topic, a special anniversary coming up, the 20th anniversary of the San Antonio Spurs' first NBA championship in 1999, uh, the start of an era. A really interesting team, uh, a really interesting time in basketball, NBA history, and uh, kind of sports history as well. Uh, you, you think, oh, 20 years maybe doesn't seem like that long of a time, but you flash back and you know, maybe watching some of this games, some of those games as we were kind of preparing to talk about this, totally different sport almost. Exactly. And I mean, it was an NBA in transition as well. This was the first year after Michael Jordan's second retirement. Uh, the Bulls team had kind of broken up. Phil Jackson was gone. Mm. Steve Kerr had left. Scottie Pippen's in Houston. This is a different team that's up and coming here. And it was also a lockout shortened season. Uh, they played 50 games that year due to a labor dispute. So that season started in yeah. January. Uh, we saw something interesting happen with the Spurs coming through that season. Uh, got off to a six and eight start. Got hot after that. Got hot going into the playoffs as well. Yeah, you know, one one thirty one of their last thirty six games. They were thirty one and five after that. As you said, after they, after a six and eight start, they were shaky. Nobody knew. Oh, here here we go. And they they just uh, uh, what what I remember just right quick is it's, it's hard to believe it's been twenty years. Uh, but that season it was so special because the Spurs. 20 years before that in 79 when they were in the Eastern Conference they had a 3-1 lead against I believe the Bullets were the defending national, uh, NBA champs they were up 3-1 to one, and they blew it they blew it and for years after that Spur fans said that's the one that got away that was our chance we'll never win a championship and that's the way it was I got here in August of 79 that had happened you know a few months earlier uh, and the only I, there was a noticeable palpable funk in this city. They, people were hurting. They were really hurting over that. The only thing I can compare it to was 2013 when they blew game six against Miami. But even that wasn't as bad because they'd already had, they already had four championships before that. But back then they said, man, that's our championship because they felt confident. And I believe they would have beaten Seattle. You know, Seattle was the Western Conference champ. Uh, they, if they'd beaten Washington, they would have beaten Seattle. That would have been their, 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 their championship. But it didn't work out that way. So, so you can imagine with 99, when they got going, that was really something. The city was... On fire. Yeah, uh, interesting to think too. That's twenty years in the past from the first championship. We're now looking at it twenty years in the future. Let's set the stage here. How did this team come together? It was a different roster. It was Tim Duncan's second year, Popovich's second full year coaching the team. Mm-hmm. What other moves did that team make coming into that season? Um, any free agent additions you'd like to point out? Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned Steve Kerr a little bit, bringing that championship pedigree. Uh, Jerome Kersey, I think, is also one that's probably overlooked a little bit for that team. But the, the rest of the starting lineup, obviously, you have the Twin Towers starting to come into their own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, and Mario Elli. Yeah, and then Jaron Jackson was really big, you know, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, uh, he, yeah, played in all five games. Yeah, yeah, he was he was tough. You know, yeah, he was really tough. But you're right about Kersey. He was a very physical player. Uh, they they'd gone back and forth with him when he was when he was with Portland. But Mario Elli brought he brought uh, the mojo with him. You know, he was a Talk about how the NBA was different back then. Mario Ellie, the the rules back then were tailor made for a guy like Ellie because you could really handshake. You know, in those days, now you got to you, you can't have that arm extend. They'll call a foul on you right away. You got to have the arm bar, and so uh, that was that that was uh, that was big. He got here. He he brought an attitude with him. He made him more physical. He was tough. And before because before that, the Spurs were kind of kind of viewed as a soft team. You know, they were they were good, but but they're soft. But he was good. And of course, Kerr had won, as you mentioned. Uh, 
I mean, uh, three championships with the with the Bulls, and then Elliott won two. So yeah, they they had a good. It was there. The ingredients were there. Yeah, they really looked for guys who had championship pedigree and brought them in. I think that's something Popovich has done in his tenure with the Spurs. He values that knowledge, values the experience championship pedigree begin, uh, brings to a team, and that kind of began with this 99 team. Another thing that I look at when, I'm, when we're talking about this team is David Robinson had been the guy for so long, uh, but this year, that, that 99 team was sort of the, the start of the passing of the torch from Robinson to Duncan. Yeah. Uh, David, what did Robinson mean to the team for so long and then sort of that that transition a little bit what was that like covering that yeah they wouldn't have been in that position if it hadn't been for David I mean it's, it's amazing well you know you got to go back to the Spurs were good and and you make the best of your good fortune but they had a lot of good fortune that one year that they were terrible they they, they win the lottery who do they get Dave, David Robinson boy that's not a bad player to get and a few years later he uh, hurts his back they have a terrible season when and Popovich take it over that year they're terrible. Then who's available? And they won the lottery. Tim Duncan, two of the greatest players ever. But David just brought – he really uh, brought the culture. You know, you talk about the Spurs culture. I think it all kind of started with him. You know, they they, they they became a different team then. They became more professional, if you will. They, they were just they, they were just uh, tough. And then, and then Duncan uh, – and I'll ask you guys that. I think we've talked about that before. Is Tim Duncan the last of his breed? In other words – a franchise player and an anchor player. I know there's been other guys that have played four years, stayed league, go to the NBA, have pretty good careers. But as far as a franchise guy, he may be the last one. He when he came to the Spurs, he was ready to play in the NBA. I mean, there's no doubt about it and stuff. I think the one player who's playing now that might be comparable is Steph Curry. It took him a while to get started. He was injured the first few years, yeah. but he's a guy who's been the foundation for another dynasty in Golden State. He's probably going to finish his career out there, too. I can't imagine him playing for anyone else. He's already else. 10 years in, and that you look at the yeah. list of longest times a player spent with any one team and Steph Curry's already on that list and that just right. seems crazy already but yeah and did he stay all four years he stayed three three years that's yeah. what I'm saying see yeah. the Duncan that, that would never I don't think it's ever going to happen again because the way that the league is now is he, he, he played four years yeah I mean, I mean you see people coming out early no one's going to stay and, longer, and stuff this is a little aside there but what yeah. a he was ready I mean golly he was ready and as great as David was you say David was a great athlete just very very gifted good basketball player great athlete Duncan, not the athlete uh, Robinson is, but a lot better basketball player. And it's not the decathlon, it's basketball. You know, so if you're starting a team, you had a choice. As much as I love David Robinson, I'm going to take number 21 because he's a basketball player. So going into this season, Tim Duncan has won his Rookie of the Year. Um, I can't remember if he was unanimous that year or not, but set, set the foundation for becoming an all-time great, becoming one of the 10 greatest players of all time. This season going forward, um, he keeps adding building blocks to that. Um, we'll talk later on about what he does in this finals run, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of cemented him in the minds of the media and of the fans that this guy is an all-time great, someone to pay attention to. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about in putting that this season into context is obviously the Jordan Bulls completely breaking up you think is there is it a power vacuum in the nba is, is it up for grabs i know in the following years there was the discussion of who's the next mj you know are we crowning kobe or is it iverson or carter mcgrady others everyone wanted to find the next mj i think it's important to remember that it's not just suddenly 
the only good team in the NBA was gone. Yes, the Bulls were the best team in the NBA for the three straight years, but Utah had been to the finals two straight years. Uh, There were a handful of other really good teams. I mean, that that Rockets team was still really good. Uh, and about- they arguably got better that offseason. They added Scottie Pippen to a team that already had Charles Barkley, that yeah. already had Hakeem Olajuwon, these all-time greats, this pantheon of greats playing for that team. Trying to think of some of who were some of the other good teams. The Knicks were obviously up there. Uh, the made Pacers. that finals. The Pacers, right. definitely. Right. Um, and, and then even then, and even then, I don't know if San Antonio fans Spurs were very frustrated because there was a feeling, and I think it was legitimate, that the Spurs didn't really get the respect. You know, because they said, okay, they knocked off a bad Knicks team in the final. Well, it's not their fault that the that the Knicks won the East, and, and then they then they beat in 03, They beat the 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 the, the Nets, and people say, oh, they really haven't beaten. I'm thinking so. So it wasn't until then they beat the Pistons. I was so then they got they finally got some affirmation. But I thought, wait a minute, you you play who's there? It's not their it's not their fault. And exactly. Stuff. But they but they they but they got it going. And and but Duncan, when you stop and think about it, that he played for so long, and we saw him. In the, last, in the twilight of his career, twilight of his career, he was still good. But then you look at some of this YouTube video and everything, you realize, go, God, you almost forget how great he really was in his prime. He could do everything. He was such a complete player. And really, the the I think what says it a lot, and, and Pop's always talking about this, the the teammate that he was. He was very unselfish. And then a, number one, uh, another thing too that was very important, Pop could dress him down, and Duncan would take it. And you figured, hey. The other guys would say if he could take it, well, we got to take it too and stuff. So he set the example. Exactly, and, and he so, set the mentality. Yeah, he set the team. mentality. Yeah, that, you were talking about. Will we ever see another guy like Duncan? That's something I think is missing from the the modern NBA now. Uh, I mean, the the superstar of the NBA still is LeBron James. But when was the last time? I mean, without getting too much into the way he's coaching and the way he's, you know, people call him like, oh, the GM. It feels like that sort of that's that's maybe the one thing that's missing from yeah. Le, uh, LeBron's game compared to a Tim Duncan. Obviously, they're guys who make the players around them better. And that's what you want from your alpha dog, your superstar. But the, the, you're right. There's a little bit of a difference there for sure. He, uh, LeBron, I, I, I really like him and stuff, but he's always towered over the management. He's towered over the coaches. Literally, a figure. He, he's towered over the front office. Duncan was like that. Duncan played, and that was it. He didn't worry about anything else and stuff. And he was the leader of the team, but uh, he let Pop coach. You know, that's that's what it boils down to. Nice. So this season we mentioned lockout shortened season due to a labor dispute. The season starts in January. It's only 50 games long. So they go on this run in 35 games, winning 30, uh, 31, 31 of them. Games. Exactly. 31 of 36, exactly. Um, and that sets them up as the number one seed going into the playoffs. And they continue that hot streak in through the playoffs. They lost one game to Minnesota in that first round. Best of five. Best of five, exactly. Uh, And then uh, swept the next two heading into the finals there. Swept the Lakers and swept uh, the The Blazers. Blazers. And, of course, helped in that Blazers game by the Memorial Day miracle um, in that series there. And, of course, Mario Eli was a big part of that, as we mentioned, uh, an an addition there, free agency addition Mm -hmm. that helped Mm -hmm. out uh, with the assist on that Sean Elliott shot there. Uh, and that brings them to the NBA Finals, where they're facing off against the New York Knicks. Dealing with the Patrick Ewing injury, though, in the playoffs, he's unable to play in this Spurs series, and that kind of sets the tone for what ends up being a dominant NBA Finals run for the Spurs. There, uh, do you think it'd be different if Ewing was healthy? It would have been, yeah, it would have been good. It would have been, uh, they would have won one more than one game. I think the Spurs still still would have won because by that time, David, uh, David, and Tim were really coming into their own. And you stop and think, oh, what a, you talk about defense. What a defense they had. They would funnel everything inside of those guys. And come on. I mean, it, was, it just wasn't fair have, having those guys like that. Having an athlete like David back there, then Duncan, with that just with that timing that he had and, and all. But uh, 
But you know, just backing up just a little bit on that, on that uh, in the in a set, and when they beat uh, Portland, that's another thing that gave them affirmation. Every great franchise, whether you're the Celtics or whoever, you got to have that iconic moment, that iconic game, kind of like Havlicek stole the ball, Havlicek stole the ball, or whatever you know, and uh, or when Larry Bird stole the ball and, and they beat the Pistons and stuff. Yeah. They, uh, when when uh, uh, Elliott hit the shot, that's like, hey, they're part of NBA royalty now, and that's good. That's part of NBA lore. You know that that shot, that game. And, and the way they came back, but but the thing and another thing too. Remember, they were playing at the Alamo Dome since we started, started talking a little bit about the the finals. How electric that was to have all those people. Uh, uh, it was a lot more than what they've drawn now because uh, they were drawing 40,000 40, to, to some of those games. You know, it was just I don't know what they drew for the finals, but I know when MJ used to come in, they were drawing as many as forty thousand. Yeah, I mean know? that's a football stadium. Yeah, it's a football <laughs> stadium. So it was different, but the crowd, uh, it was so exciting. The the setting, you can man, it was so electric. You know, for those finals, it was just, un, un, you know, unbelievable. So, Cameron, you wanted to uh, shout out the Minnesota Timberwolves here. Yeah, I mean, you talked about that first, you sort of KG. glossed, glossed over that yeah. first round series a little bit. That was a best of five. Yeah. So you lose one. It's still, it's not comfortable because, you know, it's three, you, know, yeah. you go, you get to three, two or, you know, two, two and get to that fifth game. Uh, that was not a great team. That was a one eight. Uh, but we saw the eight seed uh, Knicks run the table in the East. Yeah. So for that young Timberwolves team, I think the game they won was actually in San Antonio. It was in San Antonio, and you know, and KG had some great battles with Duncan. Oh I mean, yes, they were, they were contemporary. I mean, they were they over had some over great, the course of their yeah, careers. Yeah, careers. definitely, were, it was a great, great. Uh, yeah. um, so then you know, with that in, in the background, you move into the second round. And you're facing the Kobe Shaq Lakers. And granted, this is still a year before they get everything together. Yeah. Uh, but that's a dangerous team. And they made it, you know, they took care of business. That they was, that was still that was still very much a Shaq center team before Kobe had yeah. really yeah, started. Brian, started Brian, to, yeah, Kobe was really young. Uh, and that was actually the last year the Lakers were playing at the old Forum. And the Spurs shut it down. Shut it down, shut yeah, it down. Shut it down with a sweep. There you go. Uh, David, uh, uh, get back to your point. Uh, 39,500 was the attendance for the first game of the finals. Wow. Yes. Uh, so in that first game, the Spurs uh, take the win by a 12-point margin, 89-77. to 77. The Knicks were led by Latrell Sprewell and Allen Houston throughout yeah. the series and uh, scoring and points. Um, Tim Duncan, obviously, was the leading scorer for the majority of these games through the finals. Uh, just kind of unstoppable in this series. He had 33 in that first game, added 13 rebounds. Um but you can say all you want about his offense. This was a defense-first team, as you mentioned, unstoppable. You funnel everything into Robinson and Duncan. Uh, talk a little bit about that style of play they were uh, featuring that year. Well, you know, the purists loved it because the basketball purists loved it because it was good basketball. But the people that like to be entertained uh, call the Spurs boring. I mean, they, they really are, oh, is this the best you know, we can do? The Spurs, they were a grinded out. They were a grinding team. They were a half-court team. But everything, but the de- if you like defense, they were – they were uh, like the Detroit Pistons without, you know, the Pistons had pretty good offense with Dumars and 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 uh, uh, Isaiah Thomas and Vinny, Vinny Johnson coming off the bench. The, the bad boys, the, mic- yeah. the microwave, yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, the Spurs were not, uh, they didn't endear themselves to a lot of, you know, the, the, the new wave of fans that wanted, to, you know, they were used to seeing, uh, you know, the Showtime and, and stuff like that. But they did what they had to do, and they were a defense, like you said, they were a defensive-oriented team. Boy, they were tough on defense. Yeah. And of course, the offense led by Avery Johnson, who uh, had eight assists in that first game. There, kind of the uh, the captain of that offense. There, starting the plays, starting the runs, everything like that. Yeah, he had been around. I mean, he was getting yeah. into very much the twilight of his career, and he, he saw. Uh, or, you know, it was so great to see 
him finally, you know, when he got that trophy in his right. hands, a real validation of his career. And he hit that big shot, I think, in game five from the baseline, I think, for, for the win. He was called a little general, you know, and he was really almost like pop on the floor. He was a heck of a leader. And he kind of got, he wrapped himself around fans' heartstrings, kind of like uh, uh, Patty Mills does now, except Avery was a starter. He was tough. He, 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 he'd get in there, David Robinson's face and Duncan's face and, and stuff. He was, he was a heck of a leader, but, but, uh, 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 yeah, they, they were they were just interesting team. That's for sure, mm-hmm. interesting team. Uh, so going into game two, then they uh, won the first one again. Won the second one by a thirteen point margin. There, eighty to sixty seven over the Knicks. Low scoring games here. The Knicks had sixty seven in that second game. Again, defense first here. Yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Duncan again leading in points and rebounds. Twenty five points, fifteen rebounds. Avery Johnson had five assists, and again an attendance of thirty nine thousand five hundred. Yeah, that's I guess cool. that was a sellout back then. I mean, mm-hmm. that was probably that's all they could get. Yeah, the uh, the bit of trivia for this '99 NBA Finals. This that was the last time an entire NBA Finals series where neither team reached 100 points in any game. Yeah. Now you're looking at 100 points in three quarters regularly. And that's something. Yeah, yeah that's something. I mean, they talk about how you could stop the war, how the Raptors could stop the Warriors in this final series. Like you got to keep them under 110, yeah. like, <laughs> even have a chance. Well, it's nuts. Well, wouldn't Pop like to go that back to that, right? Like, yeah. The league be like he hates the three pointer. It, oh, yeah. It's never going to happen again because no, I mean, no. as long as the three point shot is is such a big part of the NBA, and yeah. I think a big thing that's overlooked now in the modern NBA is the change that happened this past summer, where an offensive rebound only resets the shot clock to fourteen. 14. That's a lot yeah, of extra yeah, shots in a yeah. game. Maybe maybe not a ton, but an extra three or four shots when you're right on that yeah. margin of getting close to a hundred. One or two yeah. of those goes in, and you, you hit that hundred point mark. This and, that that's a record that's probably never going to be. And broken. you got big men now that are working on a three point shot. Just like this summer, I believe Lamarcus Aldridge is somewhere working on his three point shot because he's going to have to. Uh, yeah, he, that's not his comfort zone, but he's going to have to start doing that. Exactly. And so is Demar, uh, you know. But especially stretch four, you know, uh, Aldridge. Duncan, for the record, did not make a three point shot in this uh, NBA Finals. <laughs> so. Uh, he did start every game. Obviously, he played forty six minutes a game throughout this run. So you talk about a guy. On the court the entire time, kind of really impacting the game on all asset, on all facets throughout the whole yeah. series. But he was so young, and, and you know, I think another thing too that we talk about obviously the tangibles, the skills that he had. But important to note that even back then, second year in the NBA, his personality he was just so even keel. He never, you know, he was a big fundamental, but even he never got too high, never got too low. It was just he had the same look, whether it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter. He was just. Uh, uh, in another era in college, since we, we talk about him staying four years, he would have played for John Wood at UCLA. He was that kind of player, mm-hmm. you know, real fundamentally sound, just like Alcindor or Bill Walton. Did he even sweat? Like <laughs> 40, 46 minutes? Maybe. Maybe yeah, not. Maybe a little bit. Probably after that. Uh, so after that game, two, the series transitions to New York, and they're playing in the Madison Square Garden. Less attendance there, 20,000. Um, and the Knicks take that first game back home. Alan Houston has 34 points yeah, for him. Yeah. It was a big game. Uh, they needed that, I guess. Alan even, Houston came, yeah. came up big that game. Yeah. Spike Lee loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, their their first encounter was spiked during the NBA Finals too on yeah. that uh, the court side there. Uh, Robinson, uh, fun fact, led the Spurs in points in this game with twenty five. Duncan added twelve rebounds. Johnson with uh, four assists. Uh, you've seen a lot of the same kind of players involved here as well. Um, anything about that game three that stands out to you? Well, after you go up two zero, fans were getting fired up and they were getting their brooms out and stuff. Thought it was going to be another sweep like it'd been. Previous two rounds. I'm not kidding. You'd see people, you know, you know, you believe this. It's that uh, you go down Commerce Street or somewhere downtown, there'd be people going down the street with a window rolled down with the brooms, the, the brooms, because they'd swept the, uh, the 
the semis and, and, and the Western Conference Finals. So they thought, oh, we could sweep that. And then they went up 2-0. Everybody's, hey, everybody. See people walking around with a broom and stuff. You know, hey, what's all that about? Oh, they're, gonna, they're talking about the sweep and stuff. But when they lost that game, having said that, then say, whoa, uh-oh, uh-oh. Maybe it's not going to be as easy. That's why game four became so very important. I mean, they'd won 12 in a row, and that's impressive in the regular season. Yeah. But to do it in the playoffs, that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they always say, too, that, like, the playoffs really don't start until the, the uh, someone wins an away game as yeah. well. So, yeah, exactly. um, yeah maybe a little premature for Spurs fans to get excited. But, you know, <laughs> that's how we do in San Antonio. That's so. the way we do it. Yeah, that's right. So and then in game four, they come back. They beat the Knicks 96 to 89. Um, I mean, the high-scoring uh, game for the Knicks there, it was a closer one, too. Um, Tim Duncan, 28 points, 18 rebounds. Avery Johnson had 10 assists. The Knicks were led by Latrell Sprewell, who had 26 points. And Marcus Canby filling in for uh, Patrick Ewing had 13 rebounds that game. Um, and that was a game that the Knicks got off to a hot start and had the lead at the end of the first quarter as well. So Spurs came back. They win that game four. Kind of puts a... a Puts them one game closer to the win, yeah. uh, which they uh, stay in New York. It's a 2-3-2 series at the time yeah, back still. back then it was still 2-3-2. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and well, you, you look at Duncan's double-double for crying out loud, 28 points, 18 rebounds. Are you kidding me? For a second-year guy. For a second-year guy. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really impressive. I mean, you don't see that. He just, he, yeah, he was ready. And yeah. again, one of the differences between the modern NBA and the NBA back then, how many second-year guys now are going to have the ability to do that on the, on the game's biggest stage? Most second-year guys now are 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's why Duncan, we go, it goes back to that. Duncan was ready. He'd played four years. He'd been college player of the year. He he knew it. When he showed up, you know, he didn't uh, like, uh, you know, uh, sometimes Pop, well, they'll talk about how he has to, every rookie that comes in, no matter how good they are, he's got to, they can't skip steps. They go, well, you know, A, B, C, D. And somebody, somebody asked him one time, what about Tim Duncan? He goes, uh, no, we didn't do that with Tim. And, you don't have to say the rest. Everybody knows. You know, he just—he was ready. Yeah, he, he had was ready. He was NBA ready when he came out of college. He had the experience ready to go, but he didn't have the miles in his body, so he could still yeah, play forty-six still, minutes. Yeah, he could play so. 40, yeah, yeah. He was, he was. And that's another big thing when you're talking about a you know twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old today versus a twenty-three, twenty-four-year-old back then. You play the college season, which is 33, yeah. 34 games. Even if you're uh, in the modern NBA today and you're playing more in the G League as the Spurs have been doing with some of their recent uh, first-round picks, mm-hmm. it's, you're still getting close to 60, 70, yeah. maybe 80 games. Yeah. The, it's just a lot more miles. Yeah. My mid-90s NCAA knowledge is a little lacking. Did Wake Forest <laughs> ever make a deep run in the NCAAs with uh, Duncan? Make the Sweet 16 one year, maybe? I'm not sure. Yeah, but it's still, it's still, it's still it, not like he has You're a not getting of... to 42, 43 no. games, not exactly. even close. No. Very cool. So yeah, now game five comes up. Spurs win a close one, 78-77. Duncan with 31 points in that clinch, series clinching win. David Robinson with 12 rebounds. And Latrell Sprewell at 35 points and 10 rebounds in that game. Um, but that's all she wrote, 4-1 for the Spurs. And uh, I think you mentioned Avery Johnson hit the big he, shot the game, in that one. Yeah, he hit kind of the, the, the one that sealed it. A little baseline jumper. Now that would be a three-pointer <laughs> <laughs> for the quarter. You'd just call it a quarter three, but it was kind of a mid-range shot. You know, and it, it, just, it was big. I mean, it was just big and and the celebration started in San Antonio. It was just an un- unbelievable, un- unbelievable evening. People took to their cars on downtown cars, streets, downtown, yeah, honking. honking. <laughs> and that's the that. tradition now. That after yeah. a Spurs win, to get out there in your car and honk and everything. Yeah, so. it, was, it was. It was just. And and again, I know that obviously two was good. Three was uh, the one obviously against Miami in 2014 was really exciting and everything. But just because of the, the by the nature of it, it's never as good as that first time. You know, people say, oh, it was uh, no. It's because You've never gone through it. It's, it's it was something new. You know, it was a yeah. kind of a, an innocence, um, 
so to speak. And you, you mentioned shaking the ghosts of 20 years past. Yeah, that, that was haunting. yeah to the old timers. There was a few tears shed for all the the ones that you know, even some former players that that you know that, that had been right there. That they had you know that that team that team in '79 should have should have won should have won one, but they couldn't do it. A lot of ghosts. You talked about how close the Spurs were back in 79. The Spurs in 1999 were actually the first former ABA team to reach the finals. Yeah. So there's a lot of ghosts there for the Nuggets, the Pacers, yeah. the Spurs. All of those ABA teams had really struggled yeah. post-merger. It had been, obviously the 80s were dominated by the Lakers and Celtics, and it was really hard for anybody else to right. get into the finals. But that's a big one. That's a big one. And then also a lot of heartache uh, before Duncan got here. The Spurs that one year they won sixty or sixty two games, and David was the MVP, and and then uh, they lost to uh, the Rockets in Olajuwon, the Dream Shake. You know he was upset that he wasn't the MVP, and uh, they had a good team. The Spurs had a good team, and you know they they they, they got beat. They got beat by the Rockets. Uh, we've talked a lot about on this podcast already about Tim Duncan, but I don't think enough can be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, just breaking down his stats for the full series, I mentioned 46 minutes a game. He had uh, 27.4 points, 14 rebounds, two assists, one steal, uh, shot 54% in the series. Uh, just a dominant effort, and he was awarded, of course, with that finals MVP. Uh, his first of his three finals MVPs for this year. And that starts kind of, you know, we mentioned the rookie of the year, but the trophy collection uh, keeps growing from there. He becomes a two-time MVP, 15-time All-Star, 15-time All-NBA, 15-time All-Defense, and five-time NBA champion. That's a resume. <laughs> and that's and, not even mentioning college. So. Yeah, exactly. And and, and uh, I wouldn't even say arguably, you know, the, the greatest power forward of all time. Yeah, it made yeah, that right transition as a center in college. Yeah, played a different position, complimented David Robinson, and again he just was so steady, and he wasn't about, you know, himself. Uh, himself. I remember his coach, uh, uh, Dave Odom at at, uh, at Wake Forest, talked about when he got the John Wooden Award, which is one of the prestigious, most prestigious awards in, in college basketball. You're the Player of the Year, and John Wooden was still alive then, and he would present it. And uh, Duncan didn't didn't want didn't want to go accept the award. Dave was all ready to go. Let's go. We're gonna take a trip to the West Coast, and and he said, "Coach, I really don't want to go. Can you just accept it for me?" And and uh, Dave said, he, he he said, "Tim, this is the John Wooden Award. John Wooden, the UCLA legend, is gonna be there. To give, you got you've got to go. You've got to go." And I remember he said, "We're going to the airport. You know, he's riding in the passenger seat. I'm driving, and he says, Coach, look at this. Look at how beautiful it is. It's the spring and stuff.'" He says, "Can you blame me for not want for wanting to stay here? I mean, that's just. But that was Tim. You know, he was just." He didn't get wrapped up in all that stuff, you know. And, uh, it was just, you know, that's that's just the way. He's he's a different kind of guy, but a good different kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. One of a kind. And yeah, one of a kind. Probably won't ever see anyone like him again. Nope. So. Nope. They bring the trophy back to San Antonio, hold the Riverwalk Parade, taking the ferries down the Riverwalk, and that's you know starts at what we think as a dynasty. But I think it's really interesting to think too. Uh, a little piece of trivia here: this Spurs team doesn't repeat next year. And they're the first team since 1986, first championship-winning team since 1986, not to repeat the next year. So, beginning of a dynasty gets off to uh, kind of a fumble out of the starting block there. Yeah, I mean, the Western Conference at the beginning of the 2000s, because, you know, that's the 99 championship, then you're looking at that, that was a brutal conference. I mean, you talked about that, we mentioned that Timberwolves team. As the Lakers K- got better, KG obviously. was just getting there, but that Rockets team was brutal. Right. Uh, the, the Trailblazers, uh, that was the kind of the end of the Utah Jazz with Stockton Malone being at the peak of their powers. They were still yeah. a really good team for another few more years. Yeah, while the Malone Mavericks were on the rise. Yeah. Uh, they uh, lose to the Suns the next year in the playoffs, and that's a team that they go on to have many 
have playoff battles with uh, for the next decade. Yeah, throughout the aughts. But yeah, yeah the obviously you think about the early 2000s, you think about the, the Los Angeles Lakers, yeah. uh, Kobe and Shaq. Who knows if they had actually been able to stick together? That could have been considered one of the great dynasties already. It's kind of it. It has to kind of be buried amongst the other sort of you know great stretches. You can talk about maybe the Bulls, uh, the Celtics and Lakers, the current Warriors, the the Miami Heat a few years ago, and then oh yeah, by the way, that that Lakers team that that won three straight, but they were there, you know. Yeah, and then the Spurs. What's really strange about that? I don't know if "strange" is the right word, but. Spurs never repeated. Yeah, as good as they were, but they, yet they had the longevity. Everybody says, well, they were a dynasty, uh, you know, really, when you get right down to it. They, they were good for so long. They may not have won back-to-back titles. That's the only thing that they that they liked. But they just they just couldn't do it. That one year, that they think they were defending champs when uh, the Mavericks series, a great series, game six is being played here, or game five, whatever, that Manu hits the three to put him ahead, and then he block, block, tries to block because that's Manu. He thought he could make the play. And he and he blocked, uh, tried to block the shot, got called for a foul. Dirk Nowitzki there, yeah. And it was and, an, one, uh, yeah. and one. He makes it. I think it goes in overtime. I yeah. think. And You're right. Dallas yeah. wins, and they wind up winning the series. I think the Spurs would have gone on and won the championship. But then the Derek Fisher shot. That was a really good Spurs team. I don't know what I forgot. That, what was, that was that was 04. Yeah, so they were defending champ. They were that defending champ. Defending they beat champ. the Lakers. They probably win. Yeah, I think that Spurs team could beat the Pistons in yeah. 04. I yeah. mean, that the reason the Pistons win in 04, in my opinion, is because the Lakers were so dysfunctional. Kobe yeah. Bryant was traveling back and forth to Colorado. Yeah. They uh, added Kobe, Carl uh, Malone, and Gary Payton. And Gary Payton. That was just that was such a weird team. No. Aging superstars. And the Spurs were defending champs, and they, and they had beaten what the, the Nets the previous they, year. They beat the Nets in 03 and went on to beat the Pistons in 07 and 05. In 05 so yeah. that could have maybe been a three-peat. You take away literally one shot, maybe. And yeah. That's that's another great what if. Yeah, another interesting uh, fact about the fact. I mean, if this is the start of a dynasty, they started it without two of the most important figures in the dynasty in the run here. No Manu, no Tony Parker. This is Pop, and this is Duncan, and this is Robinson uh, at the twilight of his career as well. Yeah, they end up drafting Manu Ginobili that following summer, the summer of '99. Obviously, doesn't come over right away. Right. But he, at least, the seed is sort of planted a little bit for. The, the next generation, maybe that what you would call that golden era of Spurs basketball. Yeah, that's right, because uh, Parker, his first year was 01, right? 01, mm-hmm. 02, that's when he was a rookie, 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. He was a 19-year-old kid when he went to his first training camp. And they had drafted Manu in 99, and he, he showed up the next year in 02. And like I said, the rest is history. I mean, they just, uh, uh, you know, nobody thought that Parker could wind up being, everybody wanted to, yeah, a lot of people were down on him. It's like a quarterback, you know, like, is he going to really be the quarterback that we – Win with, they have the confidence he could do it. Exactly. And I mean, you talked a little bit about how Tim Duncan was such an important figure on this team in terms of like his leadership and his ability to take coaching. Um, I mean, Parker doesn't become the player he is if Avery Johnson doesn't accept a backup start, a backup role there, uh, a lesser role there. um, And that's something that I think Duncan kind of helped set the stage for. Johnson, a classy character guy in his own right as well, but um, just that's, that's the Spurs way. He passed the torch, you know, to uh, you know, and then Parker took over, and and let's face it, he was Pop's whipping boy. Of course, he had to take it; he was just a kid, and Pop would get on him and get on him and get on him, and then he, and then the, and then the next year, Manu comes in, and and uh, you know, like when they retired his jersey, you know, this season, uh, you know, uh, Pop says, I, I kind of thought from the beginning, we kind of thought he was a whack job, you know, because uh, he was all over the place, you know, the way he played. The way he played, he was crazy. I mean, you know, he never knew what he was going to do and all that. And and he, he you know, he, it was exasperated. He said, uh, Pops, I'd be there on the sideline, you know, and I'd go, oh. And, he, and then he'd get on him and, Manu, he'd throw the ball away. Go, what are you doing? And Manu would just say, 
that's what I do. He said, that's what I do. So, you know, so he finally, finally learned to live with that, you know, and then look at what happened. But uh, uh, was there ever more in his prime, uh, you know, what an, uh, you didn't know what that guy was going to do. Exactly. You know, you don't want to say he was unguardable. Well, you know, Michael Jordan was unguardable. Uh, uh, there's other players. Kobe Bryant was unguardable. Manu Ginobili was somewhere in that uh, in that area code with those guys. Yeah, if he wanted to score, he was going to score. They took the left from him, being a left-hander. They took the left from him. He'd start right, but he'd go behind a dri- behind his back with that dribble, wind up left, and you know, often times he'd just wind up jamming it. At the, you know, at the at the rim with a jam, he'd end it like that. So, and then later in his career, it turned into a, a layup. But. Layup and stuff, you know, and it was just. Uh, yeah, the Spurs uh, fans, in a way, really, when you stop and think about it, just all that we're talking about, they're spoiled. They Spurs are spoiled. fans are spoiled. There's some franchises that would just like to have one player, like a Duncan or even a Manu and stuff, and these guys wound up getting three, and then David and stuff, come on. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a fascinating segue, too. Is this something we're ever going to see again, uh, a run like the Spurs had with these these great players and this way and this direction they had with Popovich at the helm? Is there any, is, is anyone going to be able to duplicate that? Is it in the Spurs who are going to be able to duplicate that? What's the future like here? I think no, because we always think, oh, whatever is happening is unprecedented and couldn't happen again. The way I think it kind of started when we talked about it with Manu and Tony was kind of coming from international players. The Spurs sort of exploited an inefficient, a market inefficiency, which is that teams were not putting enough attention on international players. Remember at the time, uh, 2003, you can kind of fast forward a little bit, when Yao Ming, or 2002, Yao Ming was drafted number one, I think. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought they were crazy. Why would you take an international player so early? They're soft, they can't play, they're not able to play yeah. at this level. That was still before Manu and Tony had really established themselves as being superstars yeah. in this league. Uh, and because the Spurs had sort of gotten two great international players, obviously Dirk Nowitzki was another uh, good, great international player coming up at the same time. The the next the market inefficiency I think about is this current Warriors team with three-point shots, recognizing that this is a way we change, change, the, league, change yeah. the league, change the way you think about the process of team building and playing the game. Mm-hmm. We, we're not sitting here in this room right now. We don't know what the next one is going to be, but someone's going Somebody's, to find something, yeah, be something. And there's a chance that a team could build something by putting the right personalities and putting the right people around an inefficiency. And then you see a bunch of copycats everywhere else. You kind of what the Rockets have done yeah. with the Warriors. And yeah. maybe you see the, the importance of personality and a little bit of luck with some injuries. Uh, obviously, everyone's been trying to replicate what the Spurs have done. No one's really done it successfully. Well, you know, you talked about the there was a stereotype of the, of the European players that they weren't quick enough because you, know, you played in the Olympics and, and before they started getting before it became an international game, you know, we would undress them because they were so they were we were so much quicker offensively they couldn't get their shot. Yeah, that, that, that's that was a thinking. Well, those Europeans are good, but they'll only hit a shot if they're wide open and can't they can't get a shot off. And that that was a big that was a big stereotype and stuff. And then of course, you know, that changed. But I don't know if, if it'll – you'd ever say never, but it's like in the NFL, will there ever be a quarterback and a coach like, you know, Belichick and, and, and Brady, that culture. Here you had, the, you had the ownership that stayed out of it. They had complete trust and confidence in Popovich. They created the culture. Then you have uh, David Robinson and then, of course, Duncan. And then here comes uh, Tony and Manu who who – didn't care really. It's almost I hate to sound simplistic about the individual. They wanted to win. They wanted to win, and even Tony uh, uh, Parker would say that uh, every so often. He says, "Here, it's never about the individual honors. It's about winning championships." So they all 
Manu could have gone somewhere else and, and started. You know, if he'd been another guy, what Pop says, hey, we want you to come off the bench. He didn't do it. You know, he's like he's like everybody else. He didn't really. He wasn't too happy about it at first. I mean, he didn't show sure on a on a court because everybody wants to start. But then he realized, hey, I'm going to win championships here and stuff. And same thing with Parker. So I don't know if it's almost like uh, capturing lightning in a bottle, you know, so to speak. It's just uh, you never say never, but it's going to be a show me. Show me somebody will be able to do that, you know. And so he, is yeah. there is there a reason why we're not saying the Warriors are doing this right now? I mean, if you look at it, it was a front office build there. They drafted Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, the three foundational people there for that team. They brought in Andre Iguodala, who sacrificed a role to come off the bench for them to lead this championship. Is the only reason that we're not saying the Warriors kind of replicated what the Spurs did because they brought in Kevin Durant? Probably. I think if you if we're living in a world now where the Warriors didn't get Kevin Durant that summer and maybe they didn't win the next, you know, they didn't appear in the finals for five straight years. If, you know, this, like we've been saying here earlier, the Spurs could have maybe, if some things broke the other way, uh, maybe Steph Curry has a bigger workload, turns his ankle one of these years, and the championship goes to someone else. I, I, think, I think it's a very similar situation. Uh, I just don't know, though, the fact that Tim Duncan was so soft-spoken, so quiet, so out of the spotlight, Steph Curry despite a lot of similarities, isn't quite the same personality. There are, though, I think a lot of parallels in that Draymond Green being a second-round guy, very under the radar, a guy who sort of built up over time, but has uh, become a player that is kind of almost doesn't fit a role that people thought you needed on a team, kind of like what Manu was. Well, he's tough, Draymond Green. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he he really is, like, the best... Um, comparison you can make for Draymond is an NFL player. He's a free safety back yeah, there, kind exactly. of roaming the whole he's thing. So as a he's so tough. He's, he's, you know, it's almost cliche. I, you know, warrior, beast, whatever. You know, if he's on your team, you love the guy, and you hate playing against a guy like that because he's just he'll, you know, he'll pull your heart out and show it to you and stuff. But you know, as good as the Warriors are, and Lord knows they've already done, they've got it over the Spurs. They've won what three of the last four championships. Mm. They're going for their fourth in five years. Incredible. Spurs didn't ever do that, but. Where let's see what what I'm saying. It's a different league and everything else. The Spurs did did that from the time of Duncan's second year up up until a few years. They did it over the course of 20 years, nearly 20 years. He played 19, right? 20 years, and they won five championships. Granted, they didn't win them consecutively, but they were good. And they, and over that time, they played in six finals. I don't know if the Warriors are going to do that. Yeah, you know, it's they, just, a little bit of a later start for them. Obviously, Curry was dealing with some injuries right. earlier. Yeah. Uh, one other point, though, I think that you could draw another parallel. Duncan and Robinson, probably two of the best post players of that time. Curry and Thompson, two of the best shooters. shooters yeah. uh, what a special thing it is when you can take two guys that have that skill. And you could even go back a little further, say Jordan Pippen. Right. Uh, fantastic athletic defenders who can mm-hmm. score from the wing mm-hmm. when you put those two together you're making something special and oh, yeah. i think that's well they've changed the league yeah absolutely I mean, there's no doubt about it. the warriors have changed the way teams play you know in the nba and it's because of the personnel that they have and what they've been so successful and all that but uh but you know the the thing that's really interesting is when you stop and think that the players know even these younger players they know what the spurs have done is what the Spurs did during that era with the big three is just an unbelievable, however way that they did it, they have a lot of respect. And they know that they, they set a certain standard. You know, like I said, the Warriors, I mean, golly, hats off to them, three and four years. Might have four and five. I mean, nobody's done that since the Celtics. 
They won I mean, eight in a row, you know? Yeah, you, you were saying like, yeah, however they did that. One of the key ways they did that was through the draft. Well, um, no free, no, there wasn't a t tier A free agent coming in here. They never whiffed on a pick. They never had a pick outside the mm -hmm. top 15, uh, inside the top 15 mm -hmm. there. Uh, Kawhi, obviously, they traded for as the number 14 pick, but they never whiffed on a pick. Is that something we're ever going to see them do? Are they going to are they going to miss one here? I th that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it depends on how you define what a whiff on a pick is. Is it if you pick a guy 29th and he ends up not being a contributor to your team, is that a failure or is that sort of expected at that part? I think it, I think it has a lot more to do with expectations at where you're picking compared to what that player ends up becoming. Uh, if you get a decent rotational guy but you use the third pick on him that's closer to a whiff than if you get a you know a guy who's maybe your eighth or ninth best player on a playoff team but you're picking him 21st 22nd just because of what the you know the opportunity cost i guess is at that spot i think it depends also uh maybe the the spurs if you know you keep looking at these guys overseas and they don't come over that's that's a whiff at some point you yeah. expect to pick somebody and get some value for that pick never, at some they, point. Yeah, they never come around. One thing that, uh, since we're talking about that first year of the championship, I think something that you write quick that I think I've always thought of, San Antonio is kind of a uh, freaky situation. We're, what, the seventh largest city in, in the country, but yet we only have one major league team. And and But yet, that I guess what I'm talking about is the culture here with the fans. They love, when the Spurs go to the playoffs, you've seen it, it's almost like a high school team all the way to state or whatever. Go Spurs, go, and the storefronts and signs, banks, everybody, they, they, they get all excited. I've always thought because of Spurs culture, the players that can play here, let's face it, not not just anybody can play for the Spurs or for, play for Popovich. It, it's always reminded me of a big green bay, if you will. You know, we're a large city, you know, small, but yet we're a small market compared to the, NBA, the other NBA cities. Kind of like Green Bay, they're a small market, and not everybody could play for Lombardi or Green Bay. You know, it's a, it was a small. Of course, we're a lot bigger than Green Bay, but you, you see what I'm saying? The fans here, uh, they they just love the Spurs. I mean, they they love, they just love the Spurs. They they love the Spurs when they had won five championships. Now that they've won five, it's just like whoa, you know. And that's why they were upset when they when they you know uh, couldn't get past the first round because they got that the players they got the championship pedigree. Well, the fans feel like hey, we, we got a championship pedigree and stuff. So it's just a really. Uh, I guess high expectations. It'll always be that way for a while. You know, they'll have to have a few losing seasons in a row for people just not to feel that way anymore. I guess or whatever. But exactly, yeah, it's yeah. my fifty cents worth. I don't think it's coming anytime soon. I think you know. I think this team is built to contend for uh, you know a good playoff spots for at least a few more years. Yeah, I think they're going to be. They stay healthy. The Jante, you, you cannot over overstate the Jante Murray coming back and then Derek White. They're going to be on a floor together because the Jante's going to play some two, also. Even even Mike Malone said that last regular season game when the when the Nuggets were here, he said next year their defense is going to be so good because he said your defense starts out front, and those put those two guys at the perimeter. Uh, foolishness is going to stop. I mean, those two guys are tough. And then you got and you kind of wonder about that that uh, with like that pick they got the two picks. You wonder what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to package that with you know with with a Bryn Forbes and maybe get a a good forward you know rim protector somebody that can shoot the three or something. Mm, you, you don't know they're they've got a lot of guards well they got a lot of guards they have a lot of guards and they have a lot of options and it's um you know suffice to say the future is bright for the san antonio spurs no matter which way they go and whichever way they go we'll be here to cover it on the big fundamental podcast so thank you everyone for joining us thank wherever you. you may li be listening be sure to rate us as we go along david flores thank you so much for thank being you here guys. It was fun. we'll have you. you back anytime okay.